Good morning, everybody. I, uh, we, we've called now the day before Christmas Eve, Christmas Adam. So uh, this is uh, whatever is before, I guess we'd call this Christmas God or Christmas Creator if we're on um, Christmas Adam and then Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day. So uh, it's been kind of a fun little thing in our house now. And, and we're getting really excited about these gifts. Um, Amazon's little prime deal of two days is, is getting me a little stressed out. It doesn't seem to be happening in two days. Um, but some of us in a couple days are, most of us, I think, are going to either give or be given gifts. Now, some of them might be very large. Some of them might be really small. Uh, some of them might be rather expensive. Others might be not so expensive. But my question is, what I'm wondering is, will any of them be precious? So think about if you've had a precious gift given to you. What made it precious? Was it the thought that went into it? Was it the, um, the cost of this thing or the value? Was it the searching that went into it? Maybe it was something that was really, really, really hard to find. Or was it the importance of the person who was giving it to you? What made it precious? See, I keep trying to think of a precious gift that I've received, and I've had a couple glimpses, a couple memories, a couple images come into my mind, but I keep getting these other images that flood them of what I think is precious. And the two that keep crowding out the mental space in my brain are both commercials, all right? So, so one of them is uh, a picture by a Christmas tree, and it's a man, he's, he's kind of leaning over and giving what I presume his wife is this little gift that she unwraps and, and it's kind of the sparkle just comes out of the box and, and there's these diamond somethings there. And then as, as the woman is like in, in this moment of awe, this smooth, deep voice comes on of this man who's describing the diamond something. And how you should go to K Jewelers and get this diamond something. And how, you know, it's on sale for a limited time this week. And then the jingle. Every kiss begins with K. So that one, it's just really driving me crazy. It's precious, right? Right. The other one is also this commercial. But it starts in somewhat of the same way. But with a little bit more... Uh, spontaneity going, a little bit more frenzy going around the house. And it's a small box as well, and, and it's probably given to uh, the wife or the mom, and she opens what she thinks is a jewelry box, except it's a set of car keys. And she gets the very similar look on her face, and then she goes outside or goes to the window, and there's this beautiful silver Lexus with a giant red ribbon on the top, and a, a, the same kind of very deep, smooth voice that says, now is the time for the December to Remember sales event going on now at Lexus of Wyzetta and Lexus of Maplewood. It's just flooding my mind. And I'm not, trust me, I'm not knocking K-Jewelers and I'm not knocking uh, Lexus. I'm actually thinking, now if I was a marketing consultant, I would be calling like every insurance company 
being like, you want to get the slot right after the K Jewelry spot. You want to get the slot right after the Lexus spot because these are precious gifts. Somebody is going to need to put a rider on their insurance. Somebody is going to need to change their auto policy because we like to protect those things that are really precious to us. Precious. It's a word that, that evokes, I think, evokes a strong feeling, an emotion that, that actually through these uh, new Hobbit movies have changed the word for me. Uh, it started with the Lord of the Rings movies, but now the newest Hobbit, Hobbit movie has Bilbo Baggins, the, the Hobbit that goes on this adventure, who finds the ring, or a ring, that that he has no idea that this ring is the ring. The ring of power. The ring that is forged from the mountain of doom. The ring that controls all the other rings. The ring that's quite a scandal because, because literally it causes the one who possesses it to become obsessed with it. In fact... Maybe you're just like me, waiting to hear Bilbo say, My precious. He does not want this ring to leave his sight, leave his grasp. And I think that precious gifts and a ring of power and Jesus, the birth of Jesus, have a lot to say to our lives today. So that's where I want to, that's where I think God is calling us in this text and where where I want to move us to or invite us to see if God will move us there. So if you have a Bible, we're going to Matthew chapter 2. This is part of the Christmas story. It might be part of the Christmas story that you've heard. Maybe you've heard it many times before. But again, I think the precious gifts, the ring of power, and Jesus really do hit this common and similar theme that that really does impact our lives. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read kind of a long chunk of scripture here. It's the visit of the Magi or the visit of the wise men. Starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one born King of the Jews? We have seen his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he and all Jerusalem were disturbed. When he called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, that would be the Jewish people, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the clans and rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord had appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child, and go and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod, and so fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he ordered to kill all the boys in Jerusalem and its vicinity who were, or all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger, in accordance with the time they had learned from the Magi. Again, what do precious gifts and a ring of power in this story have to do with our lives? See, Matthew, for one thing, wants us to see the scandal that's going on here. The, the magi, uh, really, kind of this idea of magicians, these ideas of people who study uh, philosophy, religion, astrology, in the, in the story of Moses, when he goes to the Pharaoh and says, let my people go, he performs miracles on behalf of God. And Pharaoh has his magicians, his counsel, come and do some of the same things. So magi, or the idea of magi, have been around for a long time. They, they were in Egypt, they were in Persia, they were in Babylon, they were in the, this, the east, it says. And they were not probably Jews. But they come and ask, where's the one born king of the Jews? See, Herod was not born king of the Jews. Herod isn't really even Jewish, but he will do everything he can to become Jewish, or at least try to. So scandal doesn't even begin to describe this man. If you've done any kind of study on Herod, it is, it is fascinating. Not sure there's a little point of side benefit if you're a Star Wars fan. The idea of the, the Galactic Republic becoming an empire was roughly based on what happened in Rome. See, the Roman Senate had been in power for 500 years, but as Julius Caesar came into power, very little of the Republic still remained. He almost ruled as a dictator for many, many, many years. After he was assassinated, there was a little bit of chaos came out, and three people came into power. And in that time, Herod, uh, Herod's father, was part of this senate, part of the people that were in ruling parts of the Roman soon-to-be empire. And his son gets appointed as a military general, who is very good militarily. Then he gets appointed as a governor, and then he gets appointed king of the Jews. He gets this title to try and disrupt this area so that Rome can focus on things that Rome wants to focus on. Herod gets this title, King of the Jews, and the Jewish people are livid. They know that he doesn't, they know that this title is about the Messiah. 
and Herod fights and fights and fights and fights for it. And it takes him about three years to establish himself in the area. And after he establishes himself as king, he reigns there for about 33 years. But here's what he did. Here's the scandal. Here's where I would submit to you that that Herod's crown becomes just like the hobbit's ring. He wasn't Jewish, so he married a Jewish woman that would have been of royal descent to try and bring himself into the family, the right family. He rebuilds the temple of the Jews to try and win the Jewish people's hearts, which doesn't really work. He learns much of the Jewish religion to try and understand who the real king of the Jews is. I mean, he's the one who makes the connection when the Magi say, where's the one born the king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. He calls in the chief priests and he says, where's the Messiah to be born? He makes the connection that the king of the Jews and the Messiah are really one and the same. And so not only does he go through all of these lengths, but then once he actually has the title, he won't let anyone take it away. His mother-in-law, the mother of this royal Jewish woman, starts to get suspicious about Herod's intentions, and she starts to try and thwart his rule. He ends up locking up his mother-in-law in a dungeon. Uh, he ends up killing that wife, or having her killed. He kills uh, 45 members of that Jewish royal family. He kills at least two wives, if not three. He kills at least three sons, all who are threatening his power. He will do everything and anything in his power to keep his power. Yet, it wasn't just Herod that was disturbed. The religious leaders were quite disturbed. When he called them together, they knew exactly what the prophecy said. They knew exactly where he was going to be born. In fact, I would say it's a scandal that they quote it so quickly and yet have done nothing with the knowledge they have. See, what I'm wondering is, is Herod just a really eccentric example? Someone that we would, they, we would really call an exception to the rule? Or, or is it more likely that he's just an obvious example of the spiritual reality that we protect what's very precious to us. See, if getting the best grade in school is, is so precious to us, then, then my chances of helping my classmates are very slim. My wife experienced this when she went out east to school. There was just a new level of competition on the east coast. And so when she would ask if people would study together, they would look at her like she was speaking a foreign language. It was precious to them. When a coworker puts in a request for the same promotion as you, and if that's precious to you, do you give them a good recommendation if they ask? Do you root for them or do you try and persuade them to maybe not take that job? See, it seems to me that that the religious leaders have all the knowledge and all the education, and yet they're not very interested in what these wise men 
from the East have to say. In fact, I would say they have just enough comfort and control that their focus is really protecting that. It's precious to them. I mean, they don't travel the five or six miles. The Magi have come over 500 if they cross a desert straight across, over 900 if they go on the trade routes, and they're going five, maybe six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Now, wise men don't go. This is something that has been in their prophecies for hundreds, if not thousands of years, depending on the prophecy. And they don't do anything with it. They don't even have a fake interest in worshiping the Messiah like Herod does. They, maybe they think, you know what, we have just enough power that we can maybe influence Herod. We can maybe influence the policies in Jerusalem to, to help our people. Although you read the stories, and Herod's not influenced by these religious leaders much. We might call that a cop-out. <laughs> but whatever influence or comfort or control they have, they want to protect because they have just enough. See, and I think that, that not very many of us are in the, in the same place as Herod. I don't think many of us have that much power or that much wealth or that much education where we go to the tenacity to protect Lake Herod. But I think far more of us, far more of us have just enough comfort. We have just enough control. But we hold it a little too tight. See, people who hold things tight, people who are unwilling or unable to open their hand are really unable to give. And what I would say is, more importantly, unable to receive that which is truly, truly precious. This story is not just about wise men who go and give gifts to Jesus, and we should go give gifts to Jesus. If, if we think that's all it is, then we miss the crux of the matter. The crux of the matter is what's precious to you and what's so precious to you. No matter where you're at spiritually, what's so precious to you that you can't or won't? give or receive. That's the crux. See, see the wise men, they walk around like this. Whether they're from Persia or Babylon or somewhere else, really doesn't matter. They're, they're likely people who, who actually heard about the Jewish prophecies from when the Jews were in exile, because that's where they were in exile. They have just a little bit of scripture. They have just a little bit of the Jewish prophecy. Other than that, they're looking at the stars. They're looking at other cultural phenomena. They're looking at other worldly books, things that we might call unspiritual or unchristian. But they have just enough where they go and search for it. They have just enough, um, just that little bit of knowledge that they've got to keep their hands open. They have 
just enough protection or just that little bit of protection that they risk. 900 miles? Yes, there's probably an envoy of them. Sure, they might have been representatives of a king, but, but Herod has killed his own family to protect the throne. And, and the Roman Empire spreads to the west so and to the south and kind of to the north. So the place that he's the most obsessed about protecting from is anyone from the east. And travelers come from the east. They're literally putting themselves in a very precarious situation. I just see this. Where these wise men are saying, we're going to place ourselves in God's protection rather than trying to protect what we think is precious to us because we want to see something far more precious. So they travel all that way. They sought an audience with a king who likely could kill them. They bowed before a vulnerable, unknowing child and worshipped him. They, they don't just give him gifts. Um, sometimes gift cards are sweet. But sometimes they're kind of a cop-out. Like, I didn't know what to get you. So, here, go buy something yourself. When they open their treasures and give him gold and frankincense and myrrh, I get this picture that, that it's a ribbon-bowed Lexus. It's not just, like, one piece of K-jewelry's jewelry. It's the whole store. They open the treasures and they give these gifts. Because they see the preciousness of the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the Christ. They give them, but do you catch what they receive? In the text it says, when they saw the star again and they came to the house, they were overjoyed. In fact, this doesn't quite catch it because if you read it in the original language, it says they were joyfully they rejoiced joyfully, mega exceedingly. Okay? Like, the writer's going, how can I get at this aspect of how big this is? I'll just try and repeat words, because we don't have as many words as we do in the English language. So, they're going to rejoice joyfully, and, and mega, a lot, huge, exceedingly overflowing. I would, I, would, I would just call it completely changed. Think about what we want at Christmas. Now, sure, there might be some gifts that we want at Christmas. But I think one of the scandals of Christmas is that there's so much sadness there, the depression rates skyrocket. The suicide rates skyrocket at Christmas. Because the reality of our situations or our families or whatever and the joy that we're supposed to have in the season is just so far apart that so many people, all they want is joy. And and all it takes, 
according to, I think, this text, and I would say so much more of the scripture, is us opening our hands. When we open our hands, something might fall out. And it might be really precious to us. But then we'll receive what is truly precious. Jesus says in all over the Gospels, if you want to save your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life, you will find it. If you open yourself up to the hope, the true hope, the true preciousness, the hope of Christmas, joy will fill you. Even people who have unbelievably challenging, angry, or sad experiences. Herod is filled with dread. He is disturbed. The anxiety of his life, actually, um, whether they're biblical or not, historians all say that Herod's paranoia of having someone steal the crown causes him to become a, a murderer to an exponential degree so that it almost, um, it almost negates any of his administrative greatness. The, the religious leaders are so indifferent that they are disturbed. And yet, the wise men who have so little knowledge of the Jewish Messiah, who've traveled this far distance, who would be the least likely to receive this king, are the ones who get not only to receive the king, but they get the joy. The mega exceeding, overflowing joy. And, and friends, I really don't think it's any harder than that. Maybe you've had a friend, or maybe this has been you, where you're like, I don't have much of this church thing. I don't have much of this God thing. But what I have brings me so much joy. It's changing my life. And then you have other people who've, who've even potentially gone to seminary, and they, their faith is non-existent. We'd call that a scandal, and I would say, it's kind of what Matthew tells us. It's the story of the gospel. Do we open ourselves to what is in front of us? To give and to receive. If we want to receive the joy, we open our hands. If we open our hands, we can be willing to receive it. We might have to be willing to give it. So think about those precious gifts. And think about how willing you are to give them. Because sometimes I'm just not very willing to give those precious gifts. Because those precious gifts are usually the really expensive ones, or they're usually the really hard-to-find ones. And sometimes I like to hold on to my money. Sometimes I like to hold on to my compliments. Sometimes I like to hold on to my joy and my health. And I realize that I'm the one that's losing. 
I think this idea of being able to open our hands and receive and worship and bow down might just be best described in this in this video that that Rob Bell did um, in the series called Numa. There's one that's titled Shells, and he tells the story of his son, his sons and his wife, and he are walking down the beach. And as they walk down the beach, the high tide has just gone out. The low tide is kind of there. And so there's all these seashells that are all over the beach. And so these boys that are, I think, six and four, they're just in heaven. They're grabbing these shells and looking at the beauty of them. And and they're kind of beautiful, but the fact of the matter is they're really not all that beautiful because they're just fragments of shells. All the shells have kind of been broken up in the surf. And so they're grasping all these shells, and, and they're still seeing the joy that's in there. And then all of a sudden, about five minutes later, as they walk down, the dad sees a starfish that's about 30 feet from shore, and it's just kind of floating there, and it's, it's huge. It's this huge starfish, and he sees it, and his oldest boy sees it, and his oldest boy gets this glint in his eye, kind of like the Red Rider BB gun from the, the Christmas story, and he's like, that starfish is mine, and so he runs out into the surf, and it gets deep a little bit quick, so he runs back after about 10 feet, and, and the family's like, come on, that's your starfish. Go. You can do it. I believe in you. And so he runs out again. He gets like twice as far. He gets a little over halfway there. And he runs back. And you can just see the frustration on his face. You can kind of see the anxiety building. And they're like, go. I believe in you. You can do this. That's your starfish. Go. And he runs back out a third time. And he gets so close to this starfish. And yet you can see the agony on his face. And the pain on his face. And the frustration on his face. And, and he turns around again. And he just looks so defeated And his dad's like, what's the matter, son? You could do this. And he goes, I can't. And he says, why? And he goes, because my hands are filled with shells. And you can just see the six-year-old boy. And he's clutching these fragments of shells. And yet there's this starfish. And you and I can can go, well, you you know the fragments aren't worth the starfish, like, just let him go. But sometimes we're just too close to our own lives. We're too close to our own lives to tell the difference between the starfish and the seashell. And so maybe we need somebody that's older, or maybe we need someone who's wiser to say, it's okay. It's okay to open your hands. It's okay to let the seashells go. There's something far more precious. Can you open your hands to the things that might be shells? What's a shell in your life? See, I see it. This this guy's son had to learn the hard way. And the religious leaders had to learn the hard way. And Herod... Learn the hard way. And yet, no matter where we're at spiritually, we don't have to learn the hard way. The scriptures say, if we're willing to open our hands and give what is precious to us, we will receive what's precious to him. Truly the preciousness of Jesus. So we're going to do something a little different. Might even be a little uncomfortable. In a moment, we're going to respond with our 
offering. Now, if you came in late, we're not doing two offerings. The band's going to come up, and um, but we're going to bring up our offerings. Now, it seems appropriate since the wise men traveled 900 miles and brought their gifts up that we would do this, but, but there is a blank sheet of paper on your worship guide. And I'd encourage you to grab that. Now, for some of us, because you're like offering money, right, because some of us, it is about money. Now, I know there's plenty of you that give online, so it's not about whether or not you have money right now to give at this point, but it is about thinking, what is precious to me? And thinking about and writing and asking God, what is it? And can I offer it to you, God? Will my 2014 look different than my 2013 because I'm going to give this because it's got too tight of a grasp. Again, for some of us, it, it is money. We hold on to it. We want to control it. We might give a little, but never to the point where we have to worry about the rest of our life. For some of us, it might be the fact that, that we've never actually given to a charity or we've never actually given to a church. And if, if that's you... This, please hear me. This is not about restoration. This is not about if we need money. It is about if you've never experienced the release of money. Maybe you want to open your wallet and say, can I put whatever's in here, in there? For some of us, this is not about money. It might be what other people think of us. We might be so stuck and paralyzed of other people's opinions that we don't follow God. For some of us, it might be the power we hold, whether that's at work or on a team or in a family or in another relationship. We hold on to this and, and we are desperately afraid to share it. I think for some of us, it might be a different area of our lives altogether. It might be an area in, in our health. It might be having to do with food or it might be having to do with um, what we consume or what we watch or it might even be something we're addicted to. But if we hold on to it too much, it has power over us. Like the ring, we possess it, but we really become obsessed with it. So I encourage you as this next song plays to think, to pray, to sit with God and say, is there anything I'm holding too tightly to? And am I willing to offer that today? To receive what is truly precious in Jesus. So may you open your hands to what you think is precious so that we can grasp what's truly precious in Jesus. We have no idea what it took for you in all of your glory and all of your greatness to become Emmanuel, God with us. And in a couple of days, we're going to ponder just how profound that is. But today, 
we want to think about the wise men. Today we want to be like the wise men. So would you sit with us as we sit with our hands open and wonder with you? But not just wonder, God. I pray that we'd respond.